0: Thanks, Chris. So good to be with you. Uh, So great to be with you here. This is my first ever visit to Abergavenny, which is a little surreal considering my my nana. She's not my grandmother. She's my nana. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, You know, grandmother. How English. So yeah, so she's my nana, and, uh, and yeah, we, uh, by the time I came along, um, she would, she'd moved to London as a sort of, you know, early 20s, and, um, and then lived in the New Forest by the time I arrived, um, but I grew up believing I was Welsh, um, because um, we, when the rugby was on, we weren't allowed to watch England unless they were playing Wales, and, uh, and then we weren't allowed to support them. I think my dad secretly supported them but he didn't mention it in front of her because my nana was a little terrifying she was a primary school headmistress and um, <laughs> and 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 before she met my grandfather had been had sing, been single for a lot of years so she was pretty set in her ways by the time she met my granddad and um, she didn't change So I came, and when I came along, my my great grandfather was still alive. So David Anthony, and uh, and um, you know, I I met Pop, this pipe smoking, really short ex miner, who just sort of sat in the corner of the room in a cloud of smoke. And, um, and, um, and just, you know, wonderful memories, but great to be here and great to sort of see the valley and go, oh, okay, I get a, se- a little, a little sense of history and a little sense of, you know, this, there's a, uh, there's a space and a place, which is a beautiful thing. Um, so, yeah, as Chris said, uh, I'm I was born in Bolton, so my mum then moved from London. She met my dad, she moved from London, and uh, I was born in Bolton, just north of Manchester, uh, left there at 18, and um, went to the Bible college, AOG Bible college at Massey, and Spent three years there, never thought I'd go back, and now find myself back there. Um, Working there two or three days a week, running AOG, and um, now the office where I had my interview to become a student is now my office, which is really, that's a surreal moment when you go back to a place in time, but you've changed and you find yourself viewing what you used to view as intimidating, as it's just the desk that I work at now. And uh, it's a very, very strange, surreal thing. But great to be with you. And uh, for those of you interested, remotely interested, I'm married. And uh, I'm sorry, I know, I know a few are disappointed right now, but you'll get over it. And, um, and um, uh, I've been married for 26 years Got uh, just 26 years ago, last week. And uh, We celebrated our wedding anniversary. i got three children. My eldest is 23. She's just got married. And um, so we did my daughter's wedding four weeks ago. And do you know what that means? That means I'm broke. And um, <laughs> No, no, it doesn't. Uh, and uh, and uh, it's just, we, we had a, just an incredible time. But the most emotional day of my life, probably more emotionally, even though when my dad passed away, more emotional than that in terms of the weight of emotion. I got to the end of the day, and I'm just lying in bed, and I'm going, I am done. I am so done. It's unbelievable. I thought, i would be okay in the morning. But, you know, about a week later, I'm going, I'm still done. Man, some young punk has taken my little girl. and No, no, this young man has married my daughter. Uh, you know, amazing thing. Right, let's, uh, let's get to the message. He's give me no time limit. Uh, there's no clock anywhere I can see, so strap in. It's going to be a great one. <laughs> Let me tell you a story, start off. In 1930, a guy called C.D. Blaylock was fighting in what was the greatest ever heavyweight boxing match. C.D. Blaylock was six foot six, and his opponent was five foot eight. Because back in the 1930s, you pretty much decided what weight you wanted to fight in if you were a boxer. And so Blaylock looked at this little man. And he thought to himself, I can knock him out with one punch. And so as the bell rang for the first round, Blaylock launched himself across the ring. And as he swung his arm, the guy he was fighting ducked the punch and lifted his own arm to protect himself. Now, I don't know what your physics is like, but I've understood this. If you place something in the way of a moving object, you create a pivot. So, as Blaylock swung this giant haymaker, the other man put his fist into the bicep of Blaylock, which turned the fist around. C.D. Blaylock did knock someone out with one punch. He knocked himself out with his own punch. It is still the fastest recorded knockout in boxing history, and he did it to himself. Well, I get that. I mean, do you get that? Have you ever done something in your own life to yourself when you've managed to derail you? I mean, sometimes we do it by accident. Sometimes we do it... Not realizing that the steps we're going to make or the things we're going to do are going to derail where we're trying to go in life. But sometimes if we're really honest, and just for a minute, it's church, so let's try and be a little bit honest. If we're really honest, sometimes we do it on purpose. Sometimes we self-sabotage for all sorts of reasons. For someone to notice me. We live in society now where uh, we live lonely lives. More and more, we live isolated lives where we go places and and we almost create spaces in order to become friends. Starbucks, the coffee chain have based their entire philosophy on the idea that home and work is not enough of spaces to meet people. So there is what they call the third place. Well, community, we used to call it church. That sense of a place you can go to be who you are to be found and accepted and engaged with in such a way that you felt the value of who you were because everybody else recognized the value of who who you are. But society is breaking down. So in the breakdown of those relationships and connections, people are trying to find other ways. And sometimes flagging up the mistakes of my life helps people to see. We all make mistakes. I remember when I was 10. My parents, we went to a Methodist church growing up. And um, they had back then, and I don't know if they still do this in the Methodist church, inter-church swimming galas. I know. It sounds like a modern idea, but no, they were doing it. Inter-church swimming galas. And um, the Methodist church we were a part of had entered a swim team, and I was on it, obviously. That was a little bit of a rude laugh, that. I was on it. And uh, I was in to do the, the you know, the 50-meter front crawl. Now, I was a great swimmer as a kid. I was a great swimmer. But I, I didn't like being in public spaces. I didn't like being in front of people. So I kind of went in, you know, little pair of red trunks, walked in, climbed up onto my block. And when the guy shouted go, because we were Methodists, so there was no gun, all right? When the guy shouted go and every dived in, I turned around, got off the block and went back to the changing room. Because I just didn't want to do the race in front of everybody. So my dad's like, oh, he's on the balcony. Because do you remember those swimming pools with balconies? You know, you used to sit and watch your kids having lessons. You were sweating to death on the balcony. And they were down in the pool having fun. And you know, so my dad's like, what's, what's wrong? What's wrong? I just didn't talk to him. He walked straight back out. And he's like, what happened there? I said, oh, Dad, I got nervous. So I came back and got changed. What? Nobody stopped me. Nobody got in the way. But I self-sabotaged. Oh, I did the same with my A-levels. <laughs> it's true. I realized once I got accepted to Bible college, this is bad, Pastor Chris, I'm really sorry to confess this out loud. Once I got accepted to Bible college, I didn't particularly need A-levels because they would accepted me whatever my grades were. By this point, my grandmother had obviously passed away because, out of fear, I would have studied if she was still alive. I was just like, You're joking me. I don't have to pass these. I didn't do any revision. Still got really good results. But I knew I could get away with it. So I did. And there have been times and seasons in our life where finances have been so tight that I could not face even looking at them. So I bury my head in the sand and hope they go away. Listen, we have all, at some point, self-sabotaged some part of our lives because we can't face the idea of dealing with what's going on. I'm sure you've had those moments. I'm sure you've had those times. And and what I've discovered is this. I actually don't need any help to get it wrong. I I I actually don't need the devil to trip me up. I'm perfectly capable of tripping myself up. I'm perfectly capable of making mistakes and getting things wrong. The Apostle Paul completely gets this. Paul writes this. The trouble with me is this. I am all too human. I don't really understand myself. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Listen, Paul got it. He understood the condition that we have as humanity. We make mistakes. Sometimes we make them because they're a mistake, and sometimes we make them because we choose. If we're really honest to make those mistakes, I love that the Bible doesn't paint pictures of perfection. That it doesn't just go, hey, look at these heroes and you should be as perfect as they are. The only person it paints as perfect is Jesus because he was. But the rest of his followers, man, mixed up as we are, messed up as we are. And I thank God every time I read a story like David or I read a story like Gideon where Gideon goes, I can't do that. And I go, I get you, Gideon. I totally get you. I get a new job title, the general manager of assemblies of God. And I go to myself, what even does that mean? Because no one's ever been the general manager of AOG before. So I am both the best and the worst general manager we have ever had. <laughs> I'm just like, going, what, what, is he, what do I do? Like, turn up at the office first day, so what, did, what do you do? Like, what do I do with all this stuff? Eh? So I'll find out what you do. And then I'll decide if what you do is what I want you to I don't know what to do. I totally get this sense of where do I fit in and what goes on here? And why am I not who I hoped I would be? And we have to wrestle with this and deal with this. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us this, All Scripture is God-breathed, profitable for teaching, rebuking, and correcting. So let's turn to some Scripture in the Old Testament to help us just think through how we deal with self-sabotage. We're going to talk today about a guy called Shimei. Shimei. Now, Shimei is not one of the great heroes of the Old Testament. He's not a David or a Joshua. He's not a Noah or a Moses. He's one of those guys that you kind of meet in passing. And you do usually think to yourself when you read the stories about him, you think to yourself, "Mm, don't want to be him. He's not one of the people you think, oh yeah, I can see myself being him. I can see myself being her. Shimei is not in that list. So let me recap his story so you know who he is. What do we know about Shimei? First of all, we know this. He is alive at the time of Saul and David. So that's the period of the Bible we're talking about. Um, Those books, two Samuels, Shimei sits in the middle of that. And Shimei was one of Saul's relatives. Now, if you didn't know, Saul was the king of Israel. And in those days, kingship was passed down through the family. But Saul and all of his sons had been killed in battle. So Shimei had this little bit of a hope that maybe, just maybe, the kingship could come to him. And yet, it doesn't. It passes to David, who becomes the great king of Israel, unifies the nation. David becomes the king, and then David has problems with his children. I won't ask the question, but a lot of us understand that, right? David has problems with his children, and one of his sons, Absalom, he doesn't have problems with one of his children, he has problems with multiple children, David. One of his sons, Absalom, he has such a great problem that Absalom takes over David's kingdom. And this one day, David is fleeing from Absalom. And Shimei is stood on the hill above David, literally throwing stones at him and hurling insults at him. David retreats, eventually wins the war with his son. And when he returns, Shimei has to meet David. Awkward. Because if you've been hurling insults and stones at the king, thinking he was never going to come back and reign again, that's an awkward conversation. It's not in your top ten list of things I'd love to do today. And so he has this conversation, and David, when Shimei begs for forgiveness, forgives him, and he promises him that I won't kill you. David eventually dies. Grab your Bible, why don't you? 1 Kings chapter 2. We're going to read a few verses from here. 1 Kings chapter 2. And this is David. This is virtually his closing advice to his son Solomon. And remember you have with you Shimei, son of Gera, the Benjamite from Behurim, who called down bitter curses on me the day I went to Mahanaim. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan... I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword. Verse 9. But now, do not consider him innocent. You're a man of wisdom. You'll know what to do to him. Bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. Yeah, that's not one of those verses that you kind of read when you're in your devotions in the morning and you go, oh, that's really encouraged me, Lord, thank you. I feel, very, I feel very uplifted by that verse. Bring his gray head down to the grave. I mean, David is not he's not being vague. There's not like, what do you mean by that? He's basically saying, Solomon, you are going to have to kill this bloke because he would like what you have got. So what, has anyone got a bottle of water for this lady? <laughs> if we don't pass one of those waters, Stuart. Just that one. I, didn't, I haven't opened it because... That's a lot of coughing. That's all right. So he, gets, so he says to him, hey, Solomon, you've got to deal with the threats to your kingdom. So this is what I'm getting there, okay? I'm getting to my point. Hold in with me. 1 Kings chapter 2. The king, Solomon, sent for Shimei and said to him, build yourself a house in Jerusalem and live there. Don't go there. And don't go anywhere else. The day you leave and cross the Kidron Valley, you can be sure you will die. Your blood will be on your own head. Okay, pretty clear. So Solomon says to Shimei, live here. If you live in Jerusalem and you never leave, you're going to live. If you leave, I'm going to kill you. Just giving you absolute clarity. Just so we both know. We're making sure the arrangement's clear. If you stay, you live, you leave, you die. Is that good? Chimei agrees to this deal. You can either see this one or two ways. Either A, he has been limited to Jerusalem to stop him living the life he wants, or within these limitations, he can live life to the full. You see, we often view the limitations of our life as things that are to stop us But it's actually our view of limitations that decide how well we can live. That we can go, because of my past, I can't do this. Well, that's actually not a bad thing. That could be a great thing. That past decisions have positioned me in such a way that it means I can no longer go down this route in life. Hey, maybe that's to protect you. Maybe for the rest of your life, that's to protect you from going a route you should never have gone down. From operating a way you should never operate. And God's just going, I'm just going to hem you in. Because boundaries are sometimes really healthy. Man, we sometimes, we put boundaries on our kids all the time. When they're really little physical boundaries like stair gates. Nobody puts a stair gate in and you think to yourself, Oh, I have so limited my child's life. I have, li- I have stopped them going and doing whatever they want to do. Boundaries are there. To give us the protection to allow us to thrive in life. So Solomon says to him, you can live life to the full if you want to. Then it says this, 1 Kings chapter 2, three years later. Verse 39, 1 Kings 2. Two of Shimei's slaves ran off to Akish. And Shimei was told, your slaves are in Gath. At this, he saddled his donkey, went to Akish at Gath in search of his slaves, and he brought them back from Gath. I mean, he's genuinely put slavery aside for a minute. Right? Let's not do is slavery right or wrong? These were biblical times. It's wrong. Is that all right? Great. Nobody agreed with me, so I was a little nervous then. Oh, all right. Okay. I'll let him go when I get home at lunchtime. Okay. Um, uh, this is kind of rightfully his. But that's not what bothers me about that passage. That's, that, let me read it again. See if this what bothers me bothers you. Okay? Three years later, that's not the bit. All right? Two of his slaves ran off. Not that bit. And Shimei was told your slaves are in Gath. At this, he saddled his donkey, went to Akish in Gath in search of his slaves. He went away and brought them back. Do you know what bothers me? Why did he own a donkey? Like that, that deeply bothered me. I don't know if it bothers you, but donkey ownership's a real issue in Bolton. It, 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 it deeply... I read I literally read it and I thought to myself, Man, why'd you own a donkey? Like, like in what universe does own a donkey make any sense at that point? Uh, let me help you get behind my thinking, because I realise that's slightly abstract. Welcome to my wife's world. <laughs> why why would you own a donkey when you're limited to Jerusalem? Now, if you've been to Jerusalem now. Owning a donkey kind of makes a little bit of sense. A a little. Probably better to have a car. A donkey was okay. But if you went to Jerusalem then, there's 2,000 people living in Jerusalem. It makes Abergavenny look like a metropolis. It's basically the size of 12 football pitches, and by football I mean soccer, just for clarity, right? 12 football pitches in size... And you own a donkey. Why why would you have a means of transport to travel a distance when you're not allowed to travel a distance? That'd be like living where I live in Manchester and owning a powerboat. Like just sitting it on the drive. (laughs) Yeah, I've got a powerboat. I've got to drive for over an hour to find somewhere to use it. But it makes no sense whatsoever. Which leads me to two questions. And this is my point for the morning. Two questions. Question number one. What are you holding on to That you have to let go of. What are you holding on to that you have to let go of? Let me talk to you about the donkey. See, the donkey is not just a mode of transport, this is a possession that speaks of broken dreams. I said to you right at the start Shimei, he was part of the family that should have had the kingship. And he has a dream that maybe one day, and we know this because he keeps this donkey, that one day maybe he will be the king. And if you know your Bible at all, you know that when Jesus enters Jerusalem, he comes in riding what? Because kings rode donkeys in peace and horses in war. And when you come into your coronation, you want a donkey to ride on so everybody knows you're coming as the king. So Shimei has kept this possession. Because he's got a dream that one day he'll get what he feels he's been robbed of. What are you holding on to that you have to let go of? What of your past are you keeping a hold of that you got to let go? What of a dream that has come and gone and, and actually was never the purpose of your life? Have you got to let go of and say, that's not for me anymore? Why did he keep it? Because outwardly he was obedient, but inwardly he was disobedient. All his outward projection was, I'm staying in Jerusalem, I'm staying in Jerusalem, I'm staying in Jerusalem. But he's keeping a donkey. He needed to let go of this donkey because the donkey is dangerous. The donkey is not some inanimate object that you know. You just park up in a cupboard and leave alone. right? In the... Size of Jerusalem, this donkey has cost attached to it. Like genuine cost attached to it. Because the the donkey had to be paid for, and then it needed to be stabled, and then it needed to be fed, and then it's got to be groomed. Because if you want the donkey because you want to be king, you don't want a mangy donkey. You're not going to be thinking, I'll keep the donkey. Okay, when I come out, it's going to be a battered donkey, but at least it's. No, no, no. This guy has got his issues so mixed up with his issues. That he's going to be looking after this donkey. There's no way he's just going to ride some broken, battered donkey. So it also needs exercising. I guarantee he pampered that donkey. I guarantee it. I guarantee he stood in that stable, stroked that donkey. He said, one day, one day you and I, we're going to ride through these streets. Uh, One day you and I, I'm going to sit on your back and everyone's going to throw palm leaves down and say, hey, here is the king. Here comes, I, 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 honestly, i he's pampering the donkey. He's feeding it the odd carrot. Just, you know, slipped it a lump of sugar. No, you can't do that. That didn't happen then. You know, just giving it an apple, looking after the donkey, because this donkey has been prepared. Shimei thought the donkey would carry him to his breakthrough, but actually, it was going to carry him to his death. So here's my question to you again. What are you holding on to that you have to let go of? Uh, Let me talk to you about a few things that we hold on to for a moment. Are you holding on to unforgiveness? Unforgiveness. It's like drinking poison and hoping the other person gets sick. Unforgiveness. Because unforgiveness, you, you don't just have unforgiveness stacked away in a cupboard. I don't know. You feed unforgiveness. You talk to yourself about it. Can't believe what they did to me. Can't believe what happened there. Can't, can't believe the way, I can't, can't believe they spoke to me. In front of those other, I can't, I can't believe that. And then you, you stable unforgiveness. You create a space for it in your life where you go and visit it. And then you pamper that unforgiveness. Oh, maybe get a few friends around. Let me show you my unforgiveness. You know, you know that person. Can you believe they said that to me? Oh, yeah, you know me. I'm never like that. And we pamper and feed. Oh, let me talk to you about regret for a minute. Just for a minute. Regret. Oh, if only I'd done that. If only I'd made that decision then. I should never have taken that job. I should have gone down that route. If I'd have gone down that route, people would have seen who I really am. And we create a space for it. And we groom our regret, and we tell ourselves stories of where I would have been and what I would have done and how it would have worked out and how people would have seen me. Or maybe maybe we need to talk about failure—that a past failure has now become the banner over your life. I used to be a senior pastor, and God spoke to me and told me to move to Manchester and support Glenn South. So we did that. And I'm not the boss anymore. And people say to me all the time, oh, why do not you become a senior pastor again? Because I don't perceive it as a failure. I perceive it as what God asked me. Listen, some of the things that you've given a banner is because other people have an opinion about your lifestyle or they have an opinion about the decisions that you once made. And you need to go, you need to stop telling me who I am, and I need to hear who God says who I am. Because then I need to shift that banner and call that something else. But some of you, a failure in the past, a failed marriage, a failed relationship, a failed relationship with food or alcohol or drugs, a failed decision in business, you visit it regularly. And you tell yourself, that's who I am. I i got... that's who I am. That, that's who I am. That's who I really am. And essentially, you're grooming the donkey. You're feeding the donkey. You're looking after it. Maybe it's a limiting relationship in your life that you're trying to push through and this relationship pulls you back. You're trying to and just pull you back. Oh, maybe it's, there's so many things. Maybe it's jealousy. You look at other people around you and you think to yourself, if I had what they had, I wouldn't have the problems they have. I'd be okay. Especially, listen, let's just be honest for a moment, right? Especially around money. We look at other people who've got in our heads more than we have and we measure against and we think, if I had what they had, I'd never have problems. It's just different. It's just different. We look at all sorts of things and what we do is we feed it and we groom it and we pamper it and we think it's going to bring us to our breakthrough but actually all it's doing is spiraling us down. That's my first question. What do you have to let go of that you're holding on to? My second question would be this. What are you chasing and is it worth the price that you'll pay? Shimei wakes up that morning and someone tells him, hey, two of the slaves have run away. You are joking me. He says, I'm so mad about that. So he jumps on this donkey and shoots off to get him. Like, I don't think he woke up that morning and thought to himself, do you know what, I've had enough. I'm going to go and do something today so foolish that it's going to cost me my life. I think he got caught up in the moment. Because if you spent three years nursing a dream that one day you might be king, why would you throw it away for something? Because that's how slaves were thought of, something. And so he shoots out the door with no one giving him wisdom. Whoa, 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 don't leave. I'll go get him. Don't, don't, don't you go, we'll send someone. No, no, no. He is so mad that he goes. What are you chasing? And is it worth the price that you'll pay? Because when he comes back in 1 Kings 2, and he gets back to the city, Solomon says, hey, come and see me. And let's just say, it don't end well. Because Solomon fulfills his promise to his father. What are you chasing? In one of the greatest books I've probably ever read, it's called Five Regrets of the Dying. A lady called Bonnie Ware wrote it. Second greatest regret. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. What? The idea that career was so important that it came ahead of family. What are you chasing and is it worth the price that you'll pay? Maybe it's something of pleasure that you're chasing after. If I get to hear then. Maybe it's around money or stuff. Like, you know, you do that. Have you ever done the, the love languages test? Anyone done the love languages test? Yeah, yeah my wife's love language is um, words of affirmation and listening. Mine's gifts. <laughs> I just, you know, it wasn't me. It was the test. It told me what I am. So, uh, what, what the problem was this, right? I was buying her gifts to let her know how much she was loved, and she was talking to me. So I'm going, wow, what's going on here? Like, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, demonstrate love, and she just keeps talking to me and then looking at me for a response. And there's no gift. You know, she'll say, you know, we'll celebrate our anniversary. And I'll go, oh, yeah, yeah but, yeah, but that's great. And she'll go, let's, let's have it. We'll, we'll go out for a meal, just the two of us. Okay. And then, you know, oh, a few days away. Just, it gives a great chance to talk. <laughs> yeah, but what are you going to buy me? And then I'd like arrive with gifts. And she'd go. Oh, that's so kind. I've been thinking about this. What, what? And, and it took us years to realize that we were talking two completely opposite languages. So we had to sit down one day, and I would go, I will make this easy for you. Amazon. Right? Wish list. I will send it to your inbox. Tell me you love me. And she goes, I'll make it easy for you. Close mouth, listen. What are you chasing? And is it worth the price that you will pay? Eugene Cho said this, generosity is what keeps the things we own from owning us. Making sure that we're not chasing our happiness. Because you can't chase happiness, but you can discover it. We're not chasing approval, or justice, or revenge. We're not chasing knowing why. Can I talk to you about knowing why for a minute? Just, just for a minute, is that alright? Great, I don't mind you talking back to me. Like, we have a church with 80 plus nationalities in it. It's a riot when you preach in our church. We're knowing why. You don't need... God's explanation, you need his presence. You know, for, for, for most of us in the room, stuff's happened. Like, can I just, for a minute, I'll be your pastor. Just for a minute. Is that okay? Thanks. Just gain his permission. Right? Stuff's happened. Stuff's happened in our lives. Stuff's happening in your life. Where we sit and we go, God, why has this happened? Like I could give you a list in our lives of stuff that's happened. Some of it I could talk about, some of it I can't. When we discovered that one of our children was quite significantly self-harming. And we're going, well, what do you mean? Like, I'm a pastor, and my wife is a professional counselor and psychotherapist. And we missed it. Oh man, I could tell you about Stories of what's happened. That we've all got stuff, hey? Right? And I do think I would like God to explain it. Why did we go through that, God? I get that Romans tells us that all things works together for our good. But I struggle with it. I don't mind when I get to the bit where it's good. I just don't like the bit in the middle. Right? And God, if you could explain to me why I'm going through it as I go through it, I think I could go through it quicker or easier. But we don't. So God says that he'll be with us through the valley. He doesn't say he'll explain why you're going through the valley listen, God's presence is more powerful for you than his explanation. And I just, I, I don't know, you know, I, this isn't even anything I plan to say. But maybe, just maybe this morning, God, for some of you, stop asking him why. Just ask him to be there. Just a- ask him to be there. If your business is floundering right now and you're going, why is this? Like, you know, I'm doing all the right things but it's not just... If your kids are crashing, why is the... God, we brought them up, to, you know. Train a child, God. Come on. You need His presence. Let me pray. And now I'm going to finish this and we'll close. Father, I pray for those right now. Maybe in, you're in the room right now and why... Every head bowed, every eye closed. Come on, help us out. And... um me in the room, and you. And why is the big question? Because there's something you're going through. I'd just love to include you in a prayer. So just for a sec, if that's you, just pop up a hand so I can just see. I'm going to pray. Thanks. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite a few hands going up around the room. That's great. Okay. All right. Let me pray. Father, we just pray in this unintended pause for your presence. Holy Spirit, come. Would you just rest on those who need you right now? Would you just rest on them? Would your presence bring peace, comfort, and strength? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Okay. It's time for me to land this. So here we go. You ready? You know it's time to end because the band has arrived. (laughs) I, I, there's no clock talk about. there's no clock, there's no you know. But you know, once that keyboard player starts playing chords, right? And it's it's quite a happy chord that one. So she's obviously enjoyed it. Um oh, maybe not. <laughs> hey? Hey, I can play this game all day. Um oh, we're there, I'm happy again. Um Thank you. Um I'm giving you a title, so let me give you a title, right? Because I know none of you are taking notes. Here's my title. I've got two options. Option number one. We are all shimei. Because we all self-sabotage. We all have those moments where we get it wrong. Title one. Or title two. I prefer title two. Shoot the donkey. That's good. That's all good. Shoot the donkey. Listen, listen. let me let me, just for a moment. It's time to shoot the donkey. It's time to make a decision that the things that you do that stop you being who God calls you to be, the mistakes that you repeat, either by design or default, that it's time to say, I, I don't want to live like that because there's a hope and a dream that Shimei had for his life there was one day he would be king. And yet that was never God's intention. So he was chasing after something that was never his purpose. And instead of finding his purpose, he lived with frustration. So he damaged his own life. He led to personal sabotage, personal destruction, personal obstruction of anything that he could have been and should have been. You see, David had no axe to grind against the family of Saul. Saul's grandson, Mephibosheth, spent every day in David's house eating at the table. There was an opportunity for Shimei to be right at the heart of all God wanted, but he positioned himself wrong. But what if today we could make a decision on those things that are flagged up when I said, what are you holding on to that you need to let go of? When I asked that question and there was stuff in your head and you went, Bam! Because that's how God does it. We hear those moments and immediately we know what fits and where it goes. And that moment landed and you went, oh no, God, don't talk to me about that. God, I'd rather, you know, talk to me about something else. You know, give me a word for someone else. It could not be me, God, that'd be great. And yet, you know, God just went, I'm talking to you about it. Because I just believe today you have an opportunity to shoot the donkey, put it out of its misery, and get you out of your misery. Because there's a dream and a hope for you that you cannot step into until you stop trying to go back. Because He wanted to go back to a kingship that had gone, not forward to something that was coming. Why don't you shoot the donkey? Whatever it is that you know, man, I pampered that. I feed it. I stable it. I get my friends around to talk about it. I look after it. And I I know I'm holding on to it. Or maybe it's something that you're chasing and you know you know, in chasing it, it is absolutely hurting you. And you say, I need to get rid of it today. Then I would love to pray for you. Now, I know because I know your pastors. This is a Holy Spirit church where we believe in that moment of encounter, where when God brings a breakthrough, everything changes. God brings a breakthrough and and, and everything is radically different. There has been time after time in my life where God's come along and I've gone, God, I've got to give this over to you. And God's gone, thank you very much. I have been waiting for you to let go. Because the only limiting factor on my life is me. Every time I think something else is limiting my life, I give it permission to control me. See, God has got this unlimited life for you. Ephesians tells us you everything you can ask think or imagine limitless life and we keep going ah oh, but i got a plan and god's going i got so much more for you than you are planning stop planning and start dreaming like get outside of that the only thing that limits me is me so sometimes i have to keep coming back to god and going god i found something else that limits you can i can i give this back to you And not hold on to it myself? Can I let it go? And not be held back by it? We'll probably sing something in a minute because that's what you do at the end of church, right? But before we do it, there is a moment right now where the power of God is settling on the room. I want to give you a chance to respond. Hey, just would you all stand to your feet for a moment? Right across the room. Stand to your feet. And then, I don't know what you call this space. In, in, in our church, we call this space the altar. Because if something's going to die, it's got to be sacrificed. It's got to be brought to an altar. It's, you're not bringing it to the front. You're not bringing it to me. You're not bringing it to the band. You're not bringing it to the pastor. You're bringing it to an altar because you're going to put it there So that God can kill it. No one's gonna know why you respond. And you know what? I have discovered, much to my disappointment, people are much less interested in me than I think they are. And the same is true of you. People are people are not gonna sit there going, Mmm. I wonder why they're responding. What's their donkey? and if they are doing that honestly you don't want their opinion because your church is better than that so we're going to open this space and um, we're going to sing something okay in a a moment we're going to sing and we'll open it to go God would you come and meet me could I give you something that I recognize I've been holding on to so that I can live freer than I was when I came in so just as the band's playing why don't you slide out of your chair because I would love the opportunity to pray with people and to have the team pray with people because there is a transaction that happens when we have these moments so as we start to sing come on guys why don't you just slide out of your chair just come stand down the front I know there's going to be a whole bunch of people respond. And I know that not because I'm arrogant or anything like that, but because I can feel the weight of God in the room right now. I can feel Him doing transactions in people's lives. So come on, straight away. Come on. Thanks, guys.